Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker.
Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. I knew you had it in you. It was just buried. We are Jeff and Susan, and we are happy to be with you folks today. Now, if you see me occasionally go like that, it's because I'm taking a moment to stop and smell the roses, as I shared with uh, Mrs. Knapp there earlier. Um, this is Faith Promise. Faith Promise is an important time in the church because it is where the uh, mission program of the Nazarene Church is supported. Susan and I served in Papua New Guinea for 22 years, and it was through folks like you at the local church giving faithfully to Faith Promise that enabled us to be there and to serve and the other mission families that made up our mission station. You see, Faith Promise is a way for us to exercise our faith in God. We take the time to pray and seek out what he would have us to give. And sometimes he lays upon our hearts an amount that he wants us to give throughout the year that kind of shocks us because there's no way that we in our budget can even give that kind of money to the church. But that's where faith promise comes in. Because God, if he has laid that on your heart, it is his responsibility to provide that money for you to give to the church. That's the way our God works. If he asks, he will make a way. But we just want to take this moment to thank you guys for your faithfulness in giving. Not just financially, because that's important. But through your prayers, through the various things that you do to support missions. And we are very, very grateful for that, because it is very important. As I said, Susan and I spent 22 years serving as Nazarene missionaries in Papua New Guinea until we felt the Lord leading us in a new direction. And over these past six months, since our contract ended with the general church, December 31st, we have made many adjustments as we have begun the process of adjusting to stateside living. And it has at times been very challenging. But life is full of constant challenges, unexpected twists and turns. How we approach those challenges is what determines how we will handle them when they come our way. There was a 13-year-old girl back in 1980 who felt the Holy Spirit talking and speaking to her heart. And she noted that experience and wrote that down, that God was speaking to her heart. And being sensitive to the voice, as I said, she marked that in her Bible. Not knowing what that would ultimately look like in her life. 
Transition and change can be very gradual, like the Lord working to prepare a young man for one day when he would end up going to the mission field. Or like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, it can happen very quickly. Change, as we see in Acts chapter 9. Transition and change can happen every day of our lives. We cannot avoid it, and we cannot change it. It will happen. But we can choose how to respond to that. All we've been promised, whether it is life itself or the transition and change that life brings, is that Christ will go with us. That he will never leave us nor forsake us, as we see in Hebrews 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 5. I grew up in a Christian home where I was taught to follow Christ. My parents were very active in the church and in mission work. God, in his own way, was gradually preparing me for that 13-year-old girl who had answered his call to missions. I wasn't thinking about being a missionary one day. My call to missions came when I was 35 years old, less than three weeks away from heading to Kansas City for our pre-field training. Susan and I, along with our kids, headed for Papua New Guinea June of 2001 and served there 21 and a half years. That transition was huge for me. But God, in a special way one day, promised me his grace. And he was faithful. Because there were days when I said, Lord, you promised me your grace. And I need it today. Susan, on the other hand, had been waiting for this transition and change since she was 13 years old. And everything she had done moving forward was a driving force in all of the major decisions in preparing for that time. I was sitting in the third or fourth row um, at Irma Holiness Camp in Cape May, New Jersey, uh, listening to a missionary from Africa sharing about her experiences. And it was at that time that I distinctly felt the spirit of God speaking to my heart. And I did take out my Bible and I turned towards the back and I wrote in there, I think God wants me to be a missionary. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I mean, I, I was 13. We don't know a lot when we're 13. We think we know a lot, but we actually don't. <laughs> so, but even though I didn't know what that was going to look like, I was very sure of the calling. There was never a doubt in my mind that God would use me in missions. 21 years passed from that moment until I first stepped foot in Papua New Guinea as a full-time missionary with the Nazarene Church. And each step along the way, each decision that I made, each chapter of my life was influenced by that acceptance of the call. It played into every decision. Even when you know the decision that you're making, or that you have made is exactly what God wants you to do. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. 
it's hard. Why is it hard? Why is transition? Why are the changes in our life hard? Well, they're at least in part, it's because we get comfortable where we're at, right? We, we call that our comfort zone. And if you go to the experts, uh, Google, and you find the um, definition of comfort zone, it says a place or a situation where one feels safe or at ease without stress. Wow, that sounds nice, doesn't it? The trouble with our comfort zone, though, is that sometimes we get so comfortable that we are not really looking or listening for God's voice, especially when it comes to change. My comfort zone for the last, for over 21 years, was in the highlands of Papua New Guinea at Nazarene General Hospital. If you don't know, PNG is an island nation off of the north coast of Australia. The culture is very diverse. It is home to over 9 million people. It is, the, the climate is tropical. You can either live on the beautiful coasts of Papua New Guinea or you can live up in the rugged highlands, which is where we live. There are over 800 languages spoken in Papua New Guinea. Some people live in the city and they have running water and they have electricity, but at the same time, the majority live in smaller villages and they live in thatched houses with dirt floors and they use outdoor toilets and they go to the river for water and while they're there, they wash their clothes and they wash their bodies and they wash the uh, vegetables from their gardens. Many of those folk do not have electricity. Some are well-educated and they have good jobs, but many, many more have limited education and they, they're subsistence farmers. They grow the, the crops that they need to live on and then any of the extra that they have, they take it to the market and they sell it. And with the money that they make, they buy the little things that they can't produce on their own, like salt and cooking oil and things like that. Many have cell phones today, and they're familiar with Facebook and Twitter and Google, but at the very same time, they lack the basic knowledge of and access to healthcare. And that's where we have had the privilege to serve in for all these years. Um, my medical training was in pediatrics. I went through Akron Children's Hospital's residency program, and we live in Dover, Ohio, and we were there for four and a half years. And I was very comfortable what I, with what I was doing back then, here in the US, here in Ohio. But that's not where God called me. He called us to Papua New Guinea. And so when it was time to go, I was ecstatic. I've been working all these years to get to that point, to be able to go to Papua New Guinea and do what I felt like God called me to do. But when we got there, there was a lot to learn. Things are very different there than they are here. And so there was a lot of things that we had to learn and experience and figure out. In the medical arena, I was expected to do all kinds of things that were not pediatrics. Um, so I had to learn about obstetrics and help with deliveries. And I would be called upon to sew up these deep lacerations that came about from someone else wielding a bush knife. 
or there were fluids, fluids filled up in somebody's abdomen or in their chest, and I needed to remove those fluids. Um, I learned how to use ultrasound pretty well to figure out what was going on inside somebody's belly or whatnot. I learned how to um, diagnose things, recognize things like malaria and typhoid and, and TB and just all kinds of things. When God asks you to do something, he enables you. He helps you. He brings people across your path to help teach you all those things that he has in store for you to do. And so we don't have to be fearful because God's going to be with us and help us. I learned the language, and I was able to use that language to, well, to give good news to people, patients that I came across, and oftentimes to give bad news. I learned, though, to use that language to tell them about God's love and to express um, my care for them and, and express to them God's care for them and how he sent his son for each and every one of them. Reverend John Henry was an active and dynamic pastor serving on the Chimbu and Eastern Highlands District until he experienced transition and change of his own. The church needs more John Henrys. John Henry loves the Lord and he is out busy telling others about Jesus and planting churches. Having served on the Chimbu Eastern Highlands District for 10 years, he planted 12 churches. Because of this passion for planting churches, he was approached by our field strategy coordinator, that's a mouthful, Kafoa about becoming a pioneer area coordinator. If he would be willing to go and open up an area in Papua New Guinea where the Church of the Nazarene had not yet entered. He said yes, and he is in Kiyunga in the western province. He went there and entered that area in March of 2021 and already has planted four churches, three of them fully organized, one of them still yet a preaching point. And those four locations have around 145 people. Pastor John goes out and shows the Jesus film also two, three times a month, telling people about the good news of Jesus. He is an agent of change. In 1955, when Wanda and Sidney Knox first went to Papua New Guinea, they were pioneers opening up a new country. They started from scratch by organizing a school and building a church. I wonder if they ever thought what kind of impact would this newly started mission have and could really make when there were so many people across PNG who had never heard the gospel. And then William Bromley, our Nazarene missionary who started the work in the Jimmy Valley, another very remote place in Papua New Guinea. He ministered there seven years before he had his first convert. The Bromley District, named after William Bromley, now has 66 churches, 36 ordained elders, 35 district-licensed missionaries, 
and they now have 3,799 members. I praise the Lord that William Bromley did not give up when God called him to a place and that he remained faithful even though it took seven years for the first convert. In PNG, we have 17 districts, and there are 21 districts across the Melanesia South Pacific field, which includes seven island nations. And this October, I was told, they are working towards Tonga becoming a pioneer district. The MSP field has eight 108 churches. Papua New Guinea alone, our largest island nation, has 727 churches. God is moving on the Melanesia and South Pacific field. In PNG, when I got up each morning, I would walk down to the hospital, and first I would gather up any x-rays or lab reports from the day before and review those. And then I would head over to the pediatric ward to see the patients that were waiting for me. And remembering back there uh, recently before, before we had left to come home, one of the patients was this precious little girl with severe malnutrition. She had family members taking care of her, but her mother was not taking care of her. And so she gradually kept losing weight and, and not gaining weight well, and she, she just was dwindling away to skin and bones. We provide special feeds that are designed specifically for children uh, with severe malnutrition, and we tenderly, lovingly take care of them and pray that the Lord will intervene and that, and that those little ones who are suffering with severe malnutrition will begin to put weight back on and that they'll not only survive, but thrive. And for many of them, that happens, but not all of them. There are, when I go around the ward, there's all kinds of uh, types of patients that I'll see, patients with meningitis and with pneumonia and with typhoid and with malaria and um, terrible deep infections in their muscles, all kinds of things. But one area in particular that um, has always had kind of a soft spot in my heart and mind has been children with heart problems. Now, either they've been born with a heart problem um, or they developed a problem with their heart, most often because of infection. And so I spent a fair amount of time trying to learn more about doing ultrasounds of the heart and, you know, would, would kind of find these kids and pull them out and try to figure out exactly what was going on. And where I could, I would get them referred to somewhere else where they could get help um, <coughs> surgically or, or however. And if not that, then we just tried to optimize their care to make sure that they could be the best that they could be with the problem that they had. One of the little kiddos that I got to know and, and dearly cared for was a little guy named Coin, Coin Tai. Now, Coin had rheumatic fever and, uh, and had damage to his heart valves because of that. And so as long as he was on his medication, um, as long as his mom could find a way to bring him each month to get, um, get a monthly injection and get his supplies, he did pretty well. But it wasn't always easy for her to find the money to come. And so, or just for transportation or whatever. So um, I might not see him for a few months and then he'd show up in the emergency room and he'd be all swollen and short of breath um, because his heart failure had gotten worse. 
and then we would readmit him, and then we would get him back on his medication again, and we'd get the swelling down, and before long, he would feel better, and he would go back home. But truly for coin, uh, short of a miracle, he will not likely reach adulthood. And that's not such an uncommon scenario. And it's because of lack of resources and lack of understanding of how to take care of these kiddos when they're really small and identify them. The pediatric ward, though, is it's definitely the place where I'm the most comfortable. But as I said, God helped me learn other things and threw things at me that I never thought that I would ever be involved in. One of those areas was obstetrics, which I love, um, but sometimes it gets a little tricky. Um, he even though the Lord provided a way and, and the colleagues to work with to help me learn how to do C-sections, which is absolutely marvelous, wonderful, fun thing to do. Um, but one night uh, I was on call and I was managing a lady um, who was in labor and things weren't progressing as well as we would have liked. And so it came to the point of making the decision that we needed to take her for C-section. And so I don't know if you can kind of imagine, we got her all ready and she's on the table and um, I make the incision uh, on the uterus and the head was really down tight into the pelvis. And so if, if like mommy's head is up here and here's her belly and I make the incision, I gotta get down below and get that head dislodged. Well, as I'm trying to do that, the arm comes out. Well, that makes things really tricky. You can't get the head up very well if the arm is in the way. And so I'm like trying, I'm like trying to push the head back in and I'm, and I'm praying. We just paused because I wasn't making any progress. And so we paused and I prayed the Lord would help us. And I don't know how it happened, but I know who made it happen. All of a sudden, that baby is completely turned around and the head's up here, and the feet are here, and I delivered it feet first. That wasn't me in there. That was God in there. And I love those moments in our lives when, when something happens, and you can absolutely, you know without a shadow of a doubt, God did that. God did that. And God does do that. He's there for us. And again, when he asks us to do something... <coughs> And, and he wants us to maybe make a change in our lives or make a change in direction, or he's just setting out the plan for you for years down the road, whatever, we can be confident that he's going to be with us and he's going to go right there along. We're never going to be alone. Um, not too long after God invited Wanda and Sydney Knox to Papua New Guinea, he invited Mary Alice Conder and her family, and she is a nurse. And she is the one that started the first clinic in, in, in our work, in the Nazarene work. She had minimal resources. It, it must have been tough. It must have been um, challenging to her to think how she was going to really make this all work. But God took her efforts and her work and her commitment and her answer of yes to his call, and that opened the door to the ministry of Nazarene Hospital. We are now a 150-bed hospital. We have nine full-time missionary doctors there now. We have four national doctors. We provide a broad scope of medical and surgical care, including some procedures that cannot be found at any other hospital in Papua New Guinea. Every patient that comes to the hospital, is admitted to the hospital, is seen by one of our chaplains. We have five chaplains. 
Because you see, it's not just about meeting the medical needs. I mean, all of that is in order for us to have opportunity to speak the love of Christ into people's lives and to address their spiritual needs. That's the end point. That's the goal. We all experience change and transitions and challenges in our lives. And sometimes when we are obedient, when we are obedient to what God is asking us to do, when we accept the invitation for change in our lives, we get to assist God in the transformation, the changes that he desires for others. God is inviting each one of us to join him in drawing others to himself. Like Susan, there was definitely a degree of difficulty leaving our comfort zone back in 2001 and heading to PNG. But all along the way, God gave us what we needed to make that move. I enjoyed working with our nationals, whether it was in radio ministry, maintenance, working on my course of study towards ordination, we're, uh, taking classes with the national students at the Melanesian Nazarene Bible College, assisting our district superintendents, working in the field office, or just out preaching. God was able to use those times, and they were wonderful. Sometimes I was comfortable. Other times, greatly stretched. But in all of it, God was there. And that is how it works in life. The point being, don't let everyday life become so routine that you are not aware of how God wants to use you. Or how he may want to change up your life and send you in a new direction. We love a good comfort zone. And that makes sense because it's where we are comfortable. But our plans are not always God's plans. And we need to be okay with God redirecting. Susan and I, when we went to P&G, pretty much thought it was until retirement. But God had other plans. And he led us in another direction. Because that was not what his plan was. And we have to be careful when we project our thoughts onto what we think God wants for us. We felt God leading us to come back to be a help and a blessing to our families and to work and help our families as uh, life continues. But God knows the plans he has for our lives, as Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us. We're all very familiar with that verse. No matter the direction they may take us, and that included Susan and I as we continue to navigate this time of transition in our lives 
this time of resettlement back into the United States. We have been humbled and privileged to be used by God these past 22 years as Nazarene missionaries for the church. There is still much transition to come, but just as God was faithful to us as missionaries serving in PNG, he will be faithful to us here serving on a new mission field in the States. No, we are not employed by the Church of the Nazarene anymore as missionaries. But that does not release us from Matthew 28, where God gave the Great Commission to go to his disciples. And his disciples are who? Each and every one of us who call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and sanctified and to be his children we are his disciples and we each have a mission field that we need to be taking his word to the command was given to each one of us and no one is exempt so what about you today are you fighting transition and change I mean, when we say those words, a lot of times they conjure up some very scary things. Transition and change. Because they can be. But our God will go with us and be with us. It is, or sorry, is it possible that God is wanting to invite you to join him on something new? And exciting. Maybe he needs you to rely on him more than you currently are doing. As long as we continue to listen for God's voice and direction, we can continue to count on his strength and direction in our lives. And who knows, one day he may pick you up and place you in another adventure. You can trust him. As the old hymn says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says he will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey.
be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Be happy in Jesus. Be willing to trust and obey in whatever adventure God may be leading you into. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.